Welcome to Camera Shake podcast episode number 33. Today we've got um, a super special guest. Um, please welcome Mr. Adam Lerner. Uh, Adam is a New York City-based portrait editorial automotive photographer. He's also a YouTuber, content creator, podcaster, biker, and musician. Does that about cover it all? I think that's about it, yeah. <laughs> it's excellent. Well done. Um, Adam, I'm super thrilled um, to have you on the show uh, because... Um, it's one of these things, you know, you have, I, th I think everybody's got these, um, you know, these uh, sort of idols or whatever uh, that, you know, f other photographers that you look up to and the kind of, you know, whose work you follow um, over the years. And you kind of think, you know, uh, it, it's like you have this kind of goal um, that maybe one day, one day, you know, my photos might just kind of be as good or my photography might be, might be as good as, you know, as, as the person um, that you look up to. And in this case, I'm like, I'm super thrilled to have you on the show because, um, you know, I've literally been following your, um, your photography since I think, since I first saw you on Jared Poland's show. <laughs> I think that goes back. That, that goes, goes back wide away as well. Yeah. Thank you both. Um, and Nick and, Kirsten, is that the correct pronunciation? That's right, yeah. Thank you, Nick and Kirsten, so much for, for having me on your podcast. Um, it's nice to be on this side for a change. Um, and thank you for the kind words. Um, yeah, no, Jared and I met, you know, kind of similarly just through social media. And um, I kind of like just discovered him. I reached out to him. We started a conversation and then we became friends. And then he decided, you know what, maybe you could contribute some content to the channel. And it was a good thing for me. Um, I, I've always kind of vacillated with the idea of, you know, being a content creator and being a photographer. And to me, I guess, because of my history, you know, my background as a musician, like I have a little bit of a purist kind of mentality, you know, where <clears throat> you, you kind of like should be all of something and not you know, like instead of being a master of none, you know, you should really try to focus on one thing. And um, I don't necessarily agree with that anymore. Um, but at the time I was like, kind of like, you know, should I pursue the YouTube thing? Should I not? So I did it anyway. And um, it, 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 it takes a lot of energy to do the YouTube thing and to shoot professionally. And the thing I think that, that Jared was able to master with that was, realizing that he could be a lot more effective as a YouTuber and then he could shoot whenever he wanted to and not rely on the shooting for the professional income or career. Mm. Um, and I never made that flip, you know what I mean? So I don't necessarily consider that a bad thing. I just, you know, you know, some people either have that kind of mojo, like, you know, Jared Poland and Peter McKinnon and people like that that are just unbelievably good YouTubers and are willing to devote 24 seven, 365 to it. I mean, literally that's what it takes. Like there is no time for sleep. There's no, you're never turning your phone off. You're never not on. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like with photography, like I'm still learning, you know, like I started in college, I took a bunch of years off playing music and did that professionally toured around the United States um, put out some records and blah, blah, blah. And then I got back into photography and decided to pursue it professionally. But in those years, you know, my formative years when I was on the road as a musician, a lot of my friends were taking pictures. So I kind of had mm -hmm. to like throw myself into it. And I think maybe because of that, that's kind of why I still feel like I'm pursuing photography. Um, 
and really want that to be my primary focus. Although I will say that if content creation were my primary focus, it'd be a lot easier to generate a paycheck during lockdown. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> See, there's, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of uh, similarities, um, really, because uh, because both Nick and me are also musicians. Oh, cool. And you know, and uh, and certainly for me, I, you know, I made the transition to uh, into photography through music. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, photography has always been something um, that I that I loved and that I that I kind of was brought up with because my dad was a uh, well he was into photography and used to develop film and all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, but I then went off and had a career in music, and at some point I started taking photos of my friends being on stage, and then eventually I came off of the stage and photographed what was on the st- on the stage, and then I made the the. The transition into uh, into becoming a professional photographer through that, right? You know? <clears throat> and um, and so, and I think you know when I looked at your photography, there was something in there that kind of uh, that that really uh, resonated with me in that because it it's really reminded me of um, of of that kind of not, I don't want to say vintage look, but it's it's got this kind of classic. Uh, film look almost to it, you know, nice. um, and uh, and so that's that's something I want to um, I want to get into a little bit with you as well because uh, again you know we've been um, we've been talking about getting more into film mm-hmm. um, just to uh, you know I don't know just to kind of how, how would, you, would you say it's like just to kind of add to our skill set. Yeah, we've grown up without it, haven't we? Yeah, and sure. I certainly have. You know, I got into photography and videography primarily later on in my life. It wasn't something that was a passion when I was growing up. And, um, you know, it was very much the digital age for me. And so it was only a few years ago, which means everything was absolutely digital. So film's nothing I've really ever ever dabbled in. And yeah. we really should. I think it, it take, it's a different skill set, I think, to using a film camera to a a digital camera. It was actually our big project for March, in fact, um, where we wanted to make a short film about us discovering film photography, right? You know, and uh, and stuff. And then, of course, that all had to get well, <clears throat> had to get canned <laughs> because of COVID. Yeah, I mean, when I was, you know, when, when I started photography, that it was pre-digital. So, mm-hmm. you know, I learned. In fact, when I, I mean, I studied in college, so you know, I shot. Only black and white. I used mm-hmm. my dad's old film camera, um, and we did all of our processing and developing and enlarging. I mean, like everything was done manually. Um, I would buy bulk film in in the like um, hundred foot rolls, like in a little tin from B and H. When B and H was not the big conglomerate it was, it was this little shop on 18th Street. I would drive up to the city, buy a whole you know crap load of stuff, and my developer and all that stuff and all the chemicals. And I would like manually load in the in the you know bag all of my little canisters. You buy little blank canisters, and I yes. shot Triax. And back then, so the formula for Triax has changed. In in those days, I don't remember when the transition happened. Maybe in the somebody will know. Somebody in the comments will know. Maybe the '90s or early 2000s. They changed the formula, and the silver content, the actual little silver crystals, um, they did away with that and they added a dye. Again, somebody will know better than I do. Anyway, so Triax doesn't have the same look, but that was the look that I went for. I loved it. And um, 
I didn't know anything else. I mean, you, there was no scanning. There was nothing. You know, I mean, it was just, it was purely analog. And when I was on the road with my band in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was also taking photos. And that's when I kind of started dabbling with digital cameras. You know, like I, I still was shooting film. And the majority of all of the archival stuff from the band is mm. all, you know, film and, and prints. But digital cameras started coming into the foray. And I guess it was around like the mid 2000s, like uh, when I when I guess I, I bought like a, an advanced digital point and shoot camera mm -hmm. because I knew that I wanted something to carry around with me. I didn't want some huge DSLR with interchangeable lenses. I wanted to be able to have it everywhere. And even then, like a compact digital camera was enormous, mm -hmm. but it was a pretty cool camera. And the funny thing about that camera, just to digress for a moment, is I remember, so I, I kept that camera for a lot of years, you know, even after I had bought, you know, Nikon Digitals and blah, blah, blah. But if you shot that camera in low light, um, it would give you such an incredible grainy look that it, it absolutely looked like film. And I remember I had a series of these photos on my Flickr. Remember back in the days of Flickr? <laughs> yeah. When that was the thing. And this architectural firm or interior, like high-end interior design firm mm. in New York City contacted me and they said that one of their clients, this building that was doing a, a lobby renovation, wanted to purchase six of my photos. And it was this series that I shot with this piece of shit little point-and-shoot camera. But because they, and, and I shot them at night, you know, so it was like, it was like New York City scenes and like a bus going by kind of blurred out, but, but black, and I converted mm. them all black and white. Or maybe I even shot them as black and white JPEGs. I don't even remember. And, you know, in hindsight, like they looked really freaking cool. Mm. And I think that a lot of what informed those photos and the look of those was my you know, time shooting film. Mm. And I would say in the early 2010s, like from 2010 to 2013, there was like a whole resurgence in film. Mm -hmm. And I also jumped back in and I you know, refired up all my film cameras and, um, but I don't, I mean, I shoot film occasionally. Like I just, I just did a professional shoot, um, shot this old Austin Healy mm -hmm. from your country. Sure. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I ran a roll of film just because, you know, there were the colors and everything was so incredible and the locations were so cool mm. that I was like, this is going to look awesome. So like I predominantly shoot Leica now, um, I have a Leica mirrorless SLR that has autofocus. And then I have like a little digital M that's manual focus. And then I have an M film camera from 1960. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about Leica is that the 1960 film camera and the new like 2018 or 2019 digital camera, both can use the exact same lenses. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I can take that, it's the same mount. So I can just go plink, plink and just, you know, the viewfinders and like the camera, that 1960 camera is freaking awesome. It yeah. works beautifully. The viewfinders massively bright and it, it feels great in the hand. It's, it's literally almost like the exact same dimensions as the mm -hmm. digital, like they did an incredible job. So aesthetically um, you can basically interchangeably go from film to digital in the, in the Leica realm. Um, so I'm finding that because of that, you know, it, it keeps me, wanting to shoot film because of that kind of ability to kind of see things and shoot in a certain way 
mm-hmm. then be able to like the, the photos I took yesterday, the ones I was telling you about earlier, where like mm-hmm. I had to go back and do them. I would have loved to have shot those with film. Mm-hmm. Um, the light was fading. I didn't have time to like load a, a roll. Like if I had spent all the time to get myself prepped for that shoot, I would have missed the light completely. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I won't go back there. But um, so I think that what happens with film is that you kind of develop more of an economy in your mind where you look at things and you say, okay, I'm going to come back and shoot. Like, so I shot with my digital M. I took like maybe 23, 34 frames. I don't remember exactly. Mm. If I had shot with the film camera, I probably would have shot half of that. Yeah. And I would have taken a little bit more time per frame. But when you're shooting digitally, you can just, you know, you can go so fast. Yeah. Um, so was yeah, it, I mean, I would say like if you guys have, I mean, look, film is so it's so easy. You guys have some great labs. Like we had, um, we've you know, I don't know if you know Carmen Cita. Oh yeah, Spain, They're, right? Yep. I mean, yeah. and, and they do. You know, you can just, you know, you just ship it over there. They flip it around. They do an amazing job. Mm. So I would definitely say like pick up a film camera, and uh, was and you know it. the thing that got us into that was um, I, I was given um, an heirloom. It's a family heirloom. It's a it's an old. Um, it's an old 1938 camera. Yep. Which is... Um, is that Bellows? Yeah. yeah, it's a Bellows camera. It's an Akvar Isolette. Um, and it was it's basically given to my grandmother when she graduated uh, from her uh, photograph, photographer. Well, she was a trained photographer and lab person. Wow. <clears throat> and so uh, she graduated back in 1938. And that was her graduation present. Right. And, That's and amazing. And so it's been in our family ever since. And um, and a couple of years ago, um, my mom gave it to me as a as a birthday present. And um, you know, and I looked at it, and I kind of, and I thought, you know what? I actually don't really ha- I don't really have an idea how to use this thing, right? You know, and the things like she um, with it, she gave me some original prints that were um, you know photographs that were that were made with that camera, and it was just it was astonishing. They're incredible. Yeah, they're really incredible. Oh. I mean, they're, they're like they're so sharp and present. What's the lens you know? on there? So the lens is an Akfor uh, Anastigmat. But like the the like what aperture? Uh, Six point three. Is yeah, it is a, it is it medium? Yeah, it's medium format. Yeah. It, yeah does it take one twenty film or does it take a different? Because I know that like the brownies take like a slightly different sized medium format film. Yeah, this one this one is a one twenty film. Okay, so that's so at six point three, and what's the focal length? It's at six point three and an f eight. Well, f f eight point five centimeters. Okay, so that's an eighty five, eighty five millimeter lens. Oh right, okay, okay. Eighty five millimeter, six point three. Then, if you were to do the conversion into thirty five millimeter, you're going to get probably like about a fifty millimeter f three or so maybe right anyway the point is is that it probably creates really nice sharp and and images that you can kind of blur out the background yeah um i would say just run some film through that thing man well that's I mean, that's exactly i had it checked out it's it's mechanically sound so it should work yeah what are you um, waiting so, for you know so the idea the idea originally was that we you know like i said we, we make like a we make a short film um about this camera and and a film camera that uh an eight millimeter film camera that uh, that Nick has. Um, that was a plan anyway for for this spring. Um, 
But so since we had to shelf that for the time being, we haven't actually gotten around. Yeah. You know, I, I would say this, stop waste, waiting and just shoot it anyway. Exactly. Absolutely. You're right. <laughs> I love it. it. I mean, just take it out, take a little drive and run run a roll or two through it. it you'll, you'll love what you get. I mean, mm. whether it's black and white or color, just yeah. meter with your phone or if you have a... So do, you, do you develop your own film at home or do you send the whole no. thing out? I use, like I said, I used to do all that stuff and mm. I know that like Daniel, like the my partner on the podcast, he's way into it like a year ago he dove in and like you guys you know he didn't grow up, he grew up only digital mm. and he you know backed his way into film and now he is in, in like literally he's shooting and developing film almost every day like oh, that's really? how into it he is um he that aesthetic really speaks to him and his his photography and and he's 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 becoming really really good at it you know mm. um it's not that hard i mean you can buy the, the materials and you know you don't need a big space. You know you can do it in a little teeny bathroom. Hmm. Um, so it just depends on on how into it you want to get. You know, yeah. I mean, you want to <laughs> buy all the, the those bits, and you buy a scanner, and yeah, it can it can get exponential very quickly. And yeah. even good film cameras, because there's such a big resurgence in film shooting, have gotten very expensive now. Yeah. You can't, yeah, you know, years ago, you could buy an old Hasselblad 500 for a few hundred dollars. Hmm. Now, one in, you know, clean one's like 1,500, 2,000 US, you know, with an 80. And it's like, wow, those were, like, you couldn't give those away. They were paperweights. Hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 gotten mad. It's I think, you know, uh, that's one of the things that, that lockdown has done is it's given us more time to uh, to think, think about projects like this. Hmm. Um, how's the whole... Um, pandemic going for you? Are you still in isolation or are you back working or what's, um, how is that working out over there? Well, I have, luckily I've been working throughout the pandemic, not to the same degree, but it's been pretty good. Um, a lot of my core clients, like um, the fashion clients that I was telling you about doing mm -hmm. those studio shoots in New York, um, I've been doing those pretty regularly. Um, and those are multi-day shoots, which are nice. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great work. Um, it's great company. And, um, I'm super psyched that I'm, you know, I've been with them for almost a decade. Um, I've also shot a whole bunch of editorial stuff, um, bunch of different magazines and, um, for, for different publications. In fact, I just shot an entire, you know, three different, three different, assignments including the cover for a, a magazine it just came out i don't i wish i had it with me right now but um i'm gonna put that up on my instagram in a bit hmm. um i shot a campaign for apple which was pretty cool um i've never shot for apple before so hmm. i'm glad that i was able to do them so i would say that it's been challenging in the sense that the amount of work has diminished um you know i mean and it's a lot more challenging. Like I, in addition to doing the editorial magazine stuff, I shoot a lot of um, corporate. And in New York City, most big companies have switched to remote working. So all of these offices that were just filled with thousands of people are virtually empty. So I have been doing corporate portraits, but when, when I do do them, they literally have people coming in from out of town um, 
to come, you know, just to come into the office for the day so that we can do portraits. And we're being careful, you know, we're doing COVID testing. We're also following incredibly strict COVID protocols. I even have my own kind of whole COVID protocol kind of thing put together so that if I am working with people, you know, I, I require them to submit to a questionnaire mm. and um, till we do temperature checks, we obviously make sure that everybody's masked, that, you know, we have hand sanitizer, we keep socially distant. And for a lot of these shoots now, we're even doing COVID testing of myself, my crew, and the subjects, mm. just, you know, to really try to keep and minimize risk. But, you know, we just had Thanksgiving, which in the US is like, probably one of the, if not the biggest gathering holiday for Americans, I think. And the crazy thing is that on Tuesday evening, I saw this on the news or read it on, the, you know, that there were more people, there were more domestic flights over the United States on that day, this Tuesday, than there were on the same day in 2018. Really? Wow. Okay. So... I mean, think about it, guys. I mean, this is probably going to be the most catastrophically insane super spreading event. Uh, uh, that we, I mean, I, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it weighs heavily on everybody. Mm. Um, so in keeping with that, I've got two big corporate shoots. I've got some fashion shoots. I've got some editorial stuff all mm. booked on the calendar for December, some of which coming up very soon. And I'm worried, you know, I was actually chatting with the producer um, for the fashion. So there's one producer that, that books me for the fashion stuff. And um, we've had to change studios because the first studio is, is not even allowing people from out of state to come in. Mm. And I'm literally over the border. Um, but the long story made short is that it's very likely that that those dates will come off the calendar. Mm. Um and who knows what will happen with these corporate shoots? You know, yeah. are people going to be comfortable? Is it going to be safe? Are the numbers going to go surging up? So, you know, unfortunately, we have to live in this kind of mentality that, okay, hope for the best, plan for the worst. And mm -hmm. and unlike other countries, I don't know what England's doing for you guys. You know, America's done it. I don't, I don't want to get political, but the U.S. hasn't done a phenomenal job with providing um, support, especially for gig workers. Mm -hmm. You know, so... There, there's not, it's not like in other countries because of the pandemic, you know, the subsidies, Americans are not being subsidized properly, mm -hmm. especially gig workers, people that didn't have a paycheck. So if you worked at a job in America, and if I'm telling you stuff you already know, stop me, you know, you file for unemployment with your mm -hmm. state and the state says, okay, based on how much you've made, you're eligible for X amount up to this amount. And you'll get that every week for... 39 weeks or whatever. And then, and then in addition to that, the government added like a pandemic boost to that for eight weeks or something. So you got a decent amount. So basically people were getting a pretty nice little lump every, every week. Hmm. And then the pandemic supplement went away. And, and then for people like me who don't have a company, I don't work for a company. I don't have <clears throat> a steady paycheck. Hmm the amount of benefits that were available were like 
this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they added the pandemic bit, which made it like a little bit better. And then they took that away. And now all of the relief is ending on the 26th of December. Hmm. And obviously if I work, I, I can't um, also get any subsidy. Let's just say the subsidy is is so small that it basically covers my electric bill. Well, just... It's something, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's not nothing. So um, the point being is that, you know, if all of these jobs get canceled because the, you know, COVID makes it impossible to do them, there's no income. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, been probably the most difficult thing for most of us in this time is without any kind of a subsidy, you know, it would be one thing if there was a subsidy that at least kind of carried us to when we could kind of go back to work. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's challenging. And I feel especially lucky that I've been able to work, you know, more consistently than, than, than some and, and, but you know, who knows how long that'll last. You're not alone. The, uh, the UK government have, um, yeah, they've, they've done a similar job to the US by the sounds of it. Um, it's not been good for those in our, our position, in our in our profession. Um, you know, there's kind of outrage, if I'm brutally honest, um, across the whole sector. And, yeah, you know, there was, but outside of our area, actually there was quite a lot of help for those yeah. who are, you know, employed, you know, they work in corporate, they work in um, retail, whatever it might be, if they got furloughed. Actually, the help was quite significant and it's like, fantastic, good good on you. But for those of us who can't prove that regular income or, you know, perhaps you weren't as busy in a particular year and then you started to get busy again or you've just started your business, whatever it might be, you fell through the cracks. Yes, and, and, and it's really, it's, it's, it's disgusting. And it's, and look, I feel incredibly fortunate, you know, like, is, is stre- uh, look, I, I'm stressed. I mean, we're all stressed. You know, this this kind of like low level anxiety that everyone's feeling and just uneasiness. But in the grand scheme of things, I know that that I'll come out of this thing and I'll keep pressing on. And you know, I'm not going to be destitute. But you know, and then you look at you know people. There are people that are freaking starving. Yeah. They can't put food on the table. That have absolutely no recourse. They have nothing. Mm-hmm. So in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's not. Terrible, but then I look at other friends of mine that either are that were able to collect the full boat. Mm. They were taken off of furlough, and they're they're literally working remotely, collecting a full paycheck, even though they're working remotely. Um, that's where it really stinks, you know. When you see fr- when you see a lot of people in your life that, yes, you know, it's not easy on them, but financially, that burden is not a worry. You know, and, and if, you know, it, it, the finances get, get worrisome. Yeah. Hmm. When we have, you know, we have a similar thing um, coming up here in the sense that, you know, it's Christmas in the UK is, is definitely the, the biggest kind of gathering event. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we've just, uh, we've just come to the end of the sort of second lockdown um, and everything is, is being relaxed now. Christmas is probably as big or bigger than Thanksgiving. Mm. But the fundamental difference is that all of the kids that were at uni mm-hmm. were sent home for Thanksgiving. Right. So in addition to everybody flying all over and driving all over the country to visit one another, all of their kids 
are now back mixing with their households and their friends. And you know how mm-hmm. kids are from college, like they're just mm-hmm. probably hanging out, whatever. So look, man, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I have very low expectations. Um, but mm-hmm. again, I'm going to continue to make my own photos. I'll continue to do the ISO 320 podcast. I have mm-hmm. some gear coming my way that I can do some reviews of and whatever. Um, so, you know, just gotta, gotta press on and, and, you know, I'm sure you guys will do the same. I mean, the fact that you guys have maintained this as a weekly discipline for 33 episodes since March is that's, that's, that's impressive. You know, I mean, it takes a lot of energy, you know, to record it and to edit it and to do all the promo bits and it's pain in the ass. But you you know what makes it worth uh, worthwhile is, um, and this is really something that we've kind of figured out as we went along and started doing it. Um, was is that you know it gives us an opportunity to to talk to people and get different you know different perspectives, because you know 100%. I remember uh, very early on uh, we had a guest on the show who um, who was talking to us about overcoming cancer, and so oh she you know. In a nutshell, she basically built up her uh, really uh, an awesome business. Um, she's a very talented um, photographer. She specializes in bat mitzvah and bat mitzvah photography and event photography. And she really is extremely talented. Um, and so her business was blooming. And then, of course, uh, she got diagnosed with cancer and being a single mom and having two kids and so on. That was a real, um, you know, that was uh, that was tough. And, you know, when you're you're kind of, you know, when you talk to somebody and you kind of realize, you know, the, what, what other people had to overcome, you you sort of realize that actually, you know, really, life isn't that bad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, it was it was a good. Um, I mean, it's good for us really to keep our heads it together. Puts, it puts know? things in perspective. And yeah, absolutely. Like I said, like. I could sit there and be really bummed out about this situation or I could think like I have it pretty good yeah. considering, you know, and, and, and I, I have to enjoy that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and with something like cancer, it's like whatever you have, that could be taken away so quickly. Exactly. So, you know, exactly. I, I don't know, not to get all philosophically deep on it, but <laughs> you know, we'll hopefully we persevere through this and I've known a lot of people that have had COVID and yeah. some some of them even have long are the long haulers, hmm. the ones that that had a mild case but have symptoms now six months later still. Hmm. It's a weird, weird freaking thing. So you don't want it. No, you know. <laughs> All right. So I, I think let's let's come back and let's uh, let's talk let's talk photography. Um, actually, you know, one of the things I saw um, this really some time ago. Um, I saw some of your uh, images that you took in Cuba. Um, tell us a little bit about that, because uh, you know I was really, as far as sort of um, you know photojournalistic uh, imagery was concerned, that really struck me as as being really quite amazing. I loved those images. Thank you. That how was... did that how did that come together? That whole things were made a little bit easier for Americans to get over there if you went through some kind of like an artistic or some kind of a you know a group that that. That um, anyway, we don't need to get into the specifics. Um, so there was a photo group that was going, and it was more of a hands-off kind of a thing, where they were bringing photographers that kind of knew what they were doing, 
and a known photographer was leading the group. Um, and I looked at this and I was like, here's my chance. Here's my chance. And I literally just bought the ticket, bought the thing. And, 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 and I can honestly say it was probably one of the best things I ever did. Hmm. Um, Cuba was, it's just one of these places that, that visually your mind is, is in complete overload. Hmm. And one of the things that I learned being in Cuba was to slow down. It's mm. kind of like shooting film. Like the best thing you could do for yourself is go to Cuba and not bring a digital camera, just bring mm -hmm. a film camera. Main reason for that being is that it's Cuba is so visually interesting as a photographer because it's been untouched in 60 years or so. And the colors are vibrant. The people are vibrant. The people are incredible. I mean, you, you know, you, again, talking about like what we have and what other people don't have, you know, the majority of the Cuban population is living on very little, yet they don't, they're not unhappy, you know? Mm. I mean, the, one of the most incredible things when we would do these photo walks just individually is like in, in the afternoon after work and after school, all the families and kids would come out onto the street in these neighborhoods and just be talking and shouting to each other and playing. And there was just this vibe and this energy. And you could really just tell that people were just so connected and they weren't on their freaking phones and they weren't playing video games and they weren't like just, you know, you know, typing away on the internet. They were actually connected. There was actually like, like, like real true connections everywhere. And that kind of human connection in this city didn't make you feel like you were in this massive city. You know, you made, mm -hmm. you felt like you were kind of a part of something. I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe, but looking at all of these old kind of absolutely incredibly stunning decaying buildings, all the faded primary colors, mm -hmm. you know, all of these incredible faces, Cuban people are, are a, a, a homogenization of so many different cultures you know, there, there's there's so many different cultures that comprise Cuban people. So their faces, I mean, they have they have a look and 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 so many interesting, you know, faces, so many interesting people and people that are just so unbelievably striking and stunning and just interesting. And mm. I don't know. I mean, so your mind is completely overwhelmed, you know, because mm. you want to basically go. You you want to capture everything. Yeah. And one of the best things that I kind of took away from being there was no. And I forced myself to kind of have like a portfolio project. I wanted to walk away with just like a half a dozen images that represented my time there. Hmm. And, you know, rather than going out on, on a photo exploration with a huge satchel of, you know, camera and lenses, um, I, I decided for a lot of the time to just go out there with my Fuji X100. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say that, that some of my absolute favorite photos that I took on that tour were with that camera. And what I would do is I would find little spots and I would just sit there and I would see the general composition, the color, the light, mm -hmm. and I would park myself there and I would just wait. Mm -hmm. And some of my absolute favorite images came from, from that mentality and that camera. And I've got 40 by 60 prints 
that I've made from that camera. I don't even remember how many megapixels, like 18 megapixels, maybe whatever, hmm. that are some of the, my favorite. And they absolutely stand out. The color, stand up, the color, the detail, hmm. everything. It's They're gorgeous. Um, and we only scratched the surface. I was there for a week, but literally we slept maybe three hours a night. And I'm not exaggerating. You know, we, we what would happen is we would go out all day from early in the morning exploring. Then we would come back in the ho- to the hotel that we were staying at, and we would sit up until four or five o'clock in the morning, talking and sharing images that we shot all day. And then we would go back to our rooms, to get a few hours of sleep, grab a shower, and then go back out. So it was it was just this incredible experience because there was n- there was no downtime. There was no like let's just chill out. You mm. you never wanted to. You're like I have to basically be amongst this situation every second that I can because I know that this is such a precious gift to be here. Mm. So um, yeah, I um, I can't recommend it enough if you have the opportunity to go because the the people are incredible and it's changed a lot since then. You know, since since that that time, there's like there's Airbnb. The internet's gotten a lot stronger. There's like a lot more you know food options. <laughs> you know, it, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but I think it's made it a little bit more comfortable for people to go. I went to Cuba a few years ago myself, nice. and you know that was just a that was a vacation. It wasn't a particular you know, trip or anything like that. And I have to say, single handedly, the greatest place i've ever visited yeah and you know we're in uh we're in havana and uh then oh where's that i can't remember where else it's somewhere on the beach um you know typical typical vacation but if you ever get the chance to go anybody out there god it is worth it and if it's far away like it is for us it's still worth it it's just one of those places if you get a chance in your lifetime to go you yeah. won't regret it. You'll come away with a slightly different perspective on the world yep. and you'll have a new, far, far greater appreciation for some of the things that you've already got at home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, you realize like, you know, you, you walk around feeling like a billionaire, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> um, but, but, you know, look, I never felt unsafe. I never felt there was any no. scrutiny. You know, I, I connected with a lot of people, um, it just it just was incredible. I mean, it's so hard to kind of summarize, you know, but I can say that I felt like that was like part one. And the other thing that was interesting is that the a lot of the people that I went on the tour with became like lifelong friends, you know, so I'm in mm-hmm. touch with them, you know, almost on a daily basis. These are, you know, people that that I spent one week, but it was such an intense time mm-hmm. that, um, you know, we we made such an incredible connection with each other and we've seen each other subsequently you know, since then. Mm. And um, we definitely would go back together. Yeah. I find that sometimes like with, um, you know, with people that I've, um, that I've been working with on productions, you know, when you're like stuck in a studio for two, three weeks, you know, and for like literally 24 seven, um, and you make a record and that's, it's just something, something that's, you know, potentially life changing, um, you know, and you're still friends years later. Yeah. There's another thing I'll, I'll pick up on. Um, something that you said in the beginning where you said um, you decided to just strip down your gear and really go back to basics. And uh, you said you took a, a Fuji X100. 
yes. uh, with you instead of like a boatload of uh, interchangeable. I brought I brought a Nikon D D three S and mm. you know some big Nikon glass. You know I had like an eighty five and probably mm. a fifty and a thirty five and I, I don't even know. I probably had a shit ton of Nikon glass too, mm. but. Um, it was liberating, you know, being being so stealthy, you know, a yeah. little camera that you take a picture, and it's exactly. this big, you know, it looks, it look, I mean, it, yeah. it's not imposing. It doesn't, and it looks vintage. It looks old. Yeah, you know, so people, people, I was, I was able to kind of get people to 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 pose for me, or at least to let me take their picture. Um, I bought, I bought cigarettes. I don't smoke. I used to mm -hmm. smoke, but decades ago, but I don't smoke now. And I brought cigarettes and I would just, you know, if I saw somebody that was cool and I want to take their picture, they'd be like this and I'd, and I'd offer them some cigarettes and they'd be like, okay, you know, and they'd let me take, <laughs> okay. they'd take a picture right or two, you know? Yeah. So, and, and that was also a conversation starter too, you know, offering somebody, hmm. I mean, like it's kind of gross now if I think about it, you know, encouraging that, but you know, just hmm. whatever. It was a way to kind of connect with people yeah. and hmm. not take something for nothing. So I, a couple of a couple of years ago, I got to the point where um, I wanted to go back to basics um, as far as my photography was concerned. And I kind of got to the point where um, I kind of felt that I needed to change the way I approached photography. So I actually went and um, and I bought an X100F. Oh, nice! Time. And uh, the the reason I I decided to to go for that was uh, especially because it didn't have an interchangeable lens. Right, and and I remember everybody at the time was saying, "Like, what are you crazy? I mean, you know, you've got one focal length, and that's it. You know, you get a whole shelf full of lenses. You know, why don't you do that? It gives you, uh, you know, many more options. But the the whole point was actually really just to reduce it down um, to the sort of bare minimum in a way. Um, and uh, and you know what I found was that was liberating. You know, it's like a massive. It was literally a weight off my shoulders because I didn't have to carry a whole bag of lenses around. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I but, I still feel that way. You know. Mm. I mean, you know, I had every I had every iteration of the X100 all the way up through the F. I didn't buy the V because mm -hmm. I ended up buying a Leica Q. Right. And to this day, I still think the Q is probably the one of the best cameras that you could ever put in your hands. This is why I shouldn't be listening to your podcast <laughs> that much because I'm constantly checking my bank my bank balance. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, man. I know. It's I've I've actually I actually recently just dumped a whole bunch of gear. Um, mm -hmm. Just to kind of pare my kit down, yeah. Kind of keeping in the same mentality, you know. I, I I recently kind of made the full move from DSLR to mirrorless. Mm -hmm. I I did the move initially with the Leica SL, and um, I loved the SL, loved it, mm -hmm. but it it you it 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 was incapable of tethering, and so right. much of my professional work and studio work I need to tether. Yeah. And there was no work around. It just didn't work. Mm. And like I even knows that it doesn't work. So I basically gave up on the SL because I was just, I had too many jobs and I bought um, an A7R4. Mm -hmm. It's fine. You know, I mean, best autofocusing camera on the planet, probably. Mm. I mean, it, it does everything well. Don't get me wrong, but I never really like, I didn't have a love affair for it. Mm. So when the SL2 came out and um, tethering was in fact an option, again, I went back into the SL2. Mm. 
but now I'm looking at potentially adding the like a Q again, or maybe a Q2. And the, the objective with the Q2 is that the Q2 and the SL2 have the same sensor and they use the same battery. Mm-hmm. Q2 is weather sealed. I mean, blah, blah, blah. So instead of buying like an expensive 35 millimeter wide angle SL lens, I could buy the Q2 and I get a free camera with it mm. in that lens. So, well, so what made you um, consider Leica in the first place? Um, like, uh, you know, above, above maybe other manufacturers just generally. I think it was probably when we, you know, when you kind of said something initially about how some of the work that I put out there kind of, or my work kind of gives you kind of some kind of a filmy vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that aesthetic of, you know, slowing it down and manually focusing and also there's something about the 50 millimeter Sumalux, um, that has a look that uh, I don't care what you use. Like it, it's almost impossible to describe or achieve with any other system. Mm. Um, so that kind of, you know, the Q is the gateway into Leica because the Q is such an incredibly versatile and, and astonishingly good camera. That 28 millimeter F17 Sumalux lens is incredible. I mean, that, that mm. thing's just insane. Tack sharp, wide open, beautiful bokeh, beautiful fall off, beautiful color, and so on. Mm. But I, you know, as a portrait photographer, I wanted something where I could kind of get more isolation. And that Sumalux, the 50 Sumalux, literally like, you know, put put with the M10 or the M9, any camera, even putting it on the M3. Mm. Um, it almost gives you like a medium format look. Yeah. Because of the amount of separation that you have. And so... I think with Leica, it's just, you know, look, it's a dentist camera, you know, it's a doctor's camera, it's a rich person's camera, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, they're they're incredibly expensive. Um, what are you getting for that? Well, you're getting a camera that's been made largely by hand. Mm. You're getting a camera that's made of exceptionally good materials. You're getting a camera that's been built to an incredibly high standard. Um, and it's been also built in a very limited quantity. Hmm. So you're kind of paying for the exclusivity of being in that club. <laughs> hmm. And I don't think it's for everybody. And hmm. if you're if you're concerned about the price of the gear that you're shooting, then Leica's not for you. Hmm. You know, will will buying a Leica camera make you a better photographer? Probably not. Um Will it make you feel differently about your photography? Definitely. Mm. And mm. you know, if I if I gave you an M body and a 50 Sumalux and I said, go out, shoot with this all day, having never shot with a rangefinder before, mm. you would come back with a different feeling about things. Maybe good, mm. maybe bad, I don't know. But I think the initial frustration would wear off after about two hours. And you once you started getting it, mm. you'd be like, okay, I think I understand what mm. this is all about. So you mentioned at the beginning um, that you shoot uh, that you shoot film on one of your Leicas, so the M3. Yeah. Um, so if you compare if you compare um, <clears throat> shots from the M3 with like let's say uh, sort of a modern uh, iteration of of um, I don't know with the M9 or something like that, how would you like how would you compare the look? Um, do you think like I have achieved that consistency? Okay, so an M9 time? is incomparable because it has its own look because it's got a CCD sensor. Right. So when you shoot with an M9, you're going to get a filmy kind of Kodak ectochrome looking oh, yeah. photo. 
It's going to be a little bit glassier. It's going to have the whole, the look that you get from an M9 just is unlike any other sensor that you'll ever shoot with. Mm. <clears throat> but um, you can get some really incredible color that is very film-like that would match up nicely. So if you're somebody who shoots like with Ektachrome on your film camera and you have an M9, you probably will have a lot of compatibility in that respect. Mm. Um but even with my M10 and the M3, like I use them interchangeably. You know, like mm -hmm. I said, I was shooting the other day and I had the M3 on me and I was shooting with the M10. And, you know, yes, the film is going to have a different look. It's going to, you know, film has a, it's, there's a lot more reciprocity. There's a lot more density to film. You know, if you look, you know, at details, that maybe be maybe would be blown out like highlight details would be blown out with with digital you mm -hmm. might have more detail with film you know you're going to have more, you know different graininess and whatever blah 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 but from a from an aesthetic standpoint you know you can kind of drive the look depending on what kind of film stock you want to use mm. so you know you can there's there's a lot of options out there um you know for color i i like Portra 400, I think that's a great look. But also, you know, if I want something a little bit more vivid, like Portra is a little more pastel, whereas like Ektachrome is a little bit more vivid. Hmm. Um, and the same thing goes with with black and white. You know, I'm like definitely like an, you know, I like the Ilford stuff because it reminds me more of the vintage, but I'm not opposed to shoot Tri-X either. You know, if I want something a little bit more silvery, even though the silver is gone. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I guess that didn't really answer your question fully, but um, <laughs> the, the, there are a lot of limitations with shooting an M9, and I know you didn't really mm -hmm. want to focus on that, but the M10, I can kind of shoot virtually any way I want, mm -hmm. and then I can kind of you know manage stuff in post as well. What would you say to some somebody um, who's you know who's sort of used to um, shooting DSLRs or, or you know or mirrorless cameras? Um, what would you say to somebody who's who's maybe interested in uh, uh, trying out a rangefinder camera? Is that just generally what what's the transition like? I think that if you've never shot with a rangefinder before, it's a huge learning curve because, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, it just depends on where you come from. You know, if you're somebody who's accustomed to putting a camera up to your face, hitting the shutter button halfway, you know, having it grab focus and taking a picture, like this is going to suck. Um, <laughs> You know, being able to line everything up in the rangefinder, understanding your frame lines, mm. you know, because it, it, nothing is like abundantly clear. Um, and when you're shooting with a, a rangefinder, you know, you're doing everything predominantly manually, you know. Mm. So there's there's a learning curve there. And I think for a lot of people, some people pick it up and like they just instantly feel connected and some people are infinitely frustrated one of the things that i love about it is especially if i'm doing portraits shooting people um i can hold the camera up to my face and i can use my left eye to see what's going on in the scene so i'm looking through the rangefinder with my right eye and my left eye is kind of here so if i'm anticipating something or somebody you know, i'm looking at the scene so you know it changes your your way of seeing um which totally differs from shooting with electronic viewfinder, you know, where you look at the viewfinder and you get like a complete preview of your image. You see the, the, the exposure, you see the depth of field, you kind of have a pretty good sense of what you're going to end up with. 
Do you find that having uh, having an EVF sort of takes something away just generally from photography as opposed to? No, um, I love the EVF, man. Like in my EVF, I have I have the electronic um, level mm-hmm. set on. I have the rule of thirds right. um, grid set on. Um, and I love, I love all that. I love the level. I love the rule of thirds. I mm-hmm. love the exposure preview. I love all that stuff. I think that those tools are fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 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 it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really make it, I think it makes it better. You know, I think it's better when you can see all that stuff. It takes that one, just a couple of aspects of guesswork out. Right. And, you know, it's, it's guesswork that doesn't really matter if that makes a sense you, you know you want those things there I, I i would never go back from evf for the minute it's but like for example like i did an editorial shoot um for a big uh health company a little bit ago and um i shot all the interior stuff with my m10p um with a 50 and a 35 millimeter sumo lux shot mm. not entirely wide open because i didn't want i didn't want to be too crazy but i mean i think i shot it around like f2 and then outside we did portraits and i shot that with the sl so i went from shooting fully manually you know with the m10 to fully um autofocused whatever outside and i didn't think about it you know i, I went from manually with an optical rangefinder to fully you know autofocused with an evf and you know it didn't it didn't require and, and the photos just they line up beautifully like there was no no thought about it there's people out there that are shooting with with anything getting great results you know i mean mm-hmm. i'm not trying to be a proponent or a salesperson for like in any respect you know i mean mm-hmm. i know the new canon eo you know the r5 is getting incredible reviews i i had the the a7r3 I bought it just because I wanted to see what this, uh, well, Sony sent it to me to play with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, it's pretty cool. I didn't love it. And then when I abandoned the SL, I picked up an A7R3. That I did not love the look of those files. So mm-hmm. I replaced it with an A7R4. Much better files, deeper blacks, mm-hmm. lot more, um, a lot more recovery, let's say. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't want to piss off any Sony people because I have nothing against Sony whatsoever. No, you know, sure. I think I think for the for the for what you get, you know, you're getting so much camera to get a yeah. 61 megapixel camera for under three thousand dollars. That's incredible. Um, that has the most insane autofocus that you could ever imagine. Incredible video capabilities, um, amazing battery life. The EVF on that thing is incredible. Mm. It you know, whatever. I just. I look at the files I, I'm pulling off of the SL and I look at the those files and I even like my SL files better than like a Fuji GFX medium format mm-hmm. files. Right. So that's me personally. Sure. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into money. But for me, I, I prefer this equipment and I'm enjoying the, the Leica ecosystem. I enjoy the support um, I have people within the Leica team that are that I email all the mm-hmm. time, and they get right back to me. If I want to borrow stuff, you know, I have a relationship to the point now where if I want to borrow gear, they can they'll send me stuff, you know, um, because I've worked out those relationships. 
I can demo stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's a small company, you know, so mm -hmm. it's a different, it's different mentality. So I, I'm, I'm excited to be part of that mm -hmm. ecosystem. Great. Well, let's talk a little bit about your, um, your photography in general uh, on social media, especially because the one thing, um, that really struck me when I looked at, uh, especially like your Instagram account, for example, is is the fact that it's so varied. Yes. I mean, it, li it literally seems like you just enjoy shooting absolutely anything. Pretty much. Yeah, you know, uh, there are people out there that curate their Instagram feeds to a point where, you know, it's, it's either they're like a mirror of their portfolio or, you know, there's, you know, it's like it's only this thing and like mm -hmm. then maybe they'll have a separate account, you know, for personal stuff. I don't know. I feel like like people's attention spans are so slight um, that to have so many different accounts, like maybe if I had like, you know, half a million followers, it'd be something. But um, I just love photography. I love shooting stuff. And if I make some photos that I think are interesting, I like to share them and whatever. Um, some stuff I keep on my feed, some tough stuff I just put up temporarily and then I archive it, you know, just because I look back at the the, the grid and I'm like, Maybe not. Maybe that doesn't need to be up there. Hmm. Um, to me, the grid is a work in progress. Like there's no set rules, you know, um, and it's just a matter, just a way of just sharing, sharing stuff. You know, um, sometimes I do think about the idea of just making it professional only, but I don't have only art buyers looking at my feed. I have people all over looking at my feed. So I don't know. But it is all over the place. I'll agree, and and that's mainly a testament to the fact that I just like shooting a little bit of everything. Yeah, that really does come across, and actually is what makes it really uh, super interesting. You know, as opposed to because you know a lot of, um, especially on Instagram, I always you know I find that some accounts are very very specialized in the show of kind of you know a lot of the same thing, and it kind of gets very samey once once you start scrolling through it. Right. But, um, you know, with your feed, it really seems like you know there's a, there's a really great variety. Um, out there, and it literally uh, just—I don't know—it's just. I think your love for photography generally comes across that way really well. Um, I do. I do have a love for photography, and that's the thing that you know that that keeps me at it. Hmm. That I love doing it, and I love constantly learning about it, and learning more, and learning, trying different things. I mean, that's probably why I, I got so into shooting Leica. Hmm. Was you know the easy thing to do would be to shoot with a Sony because. You know, you just point it at somebody, it finds the eyeball and you press the shutter button. Yes, that's not everything. You know, obviously there's a lot of other creative choices going on, but the camera makes it easier to do the job. With the Leica, you have to be, you have to have so much more input. You're so much more connected to the process. It's kind of like, to put it very simply, the difference between driving a car that's an automatic transmission and driving a car that has a manual gearbox you're much more connected to the car and to the driving if you're shifting gears constantly. Mm. So I think that, that that kind of mentality is what attracts me to, to that style of shooting. Mm. And at the same time, because the M body is small, I always want to take it with me. You know, yeah. I, I don't necessarily want to bring an, a big SLR system with me when I'm just kind of out and about. Yeah, well, that, that's actually that's a, that's uh, that's a great point because you know I had exactly the same um, experience really when um, I found that um, 
there were many occasions when I took, you know, when I took a, a DSLR and a couple of lenses out and I actually ended up making no photos whatsoever yeah. um, because it was too much of a hassle to get out the backpack and put it, you know. Um, and the minute I changed over to the, uh, to the X100F, actually it was, you know, I had that out of my pocket all the time. Sure. And I, you know, I came back with, with loads more, uh, loads more photos. Um, and so it just, you know, it just goes to show that sometimes scaling something down can actually be super helpful as far as as far as your sort of development as a photographer is concerned as well, especially you know for people who are starting out in photography. It's um, I think it's, it's important to just keep on shooting mm-hmm. and take an opportunity. Um, so the biggest camera is not necessarily always the best. I always tell situation. people that are starting out like. The best thing you can do for yourself is get a decent camera with a 50 millimeter lens <laughs> and exactly keep that lens on your camera for the first six months. Yeah. You know, don't worry about zooms. Don't worry about all this other crap. Just learn to see everything through your camera at, at that focal length. And then you can build from there. So let's talk about your, your podcast um, for a second. So obviously you mean the best podcast that's on the, on the, the best internet? podcast that's yeah. on the internet right now. <laughs> Damn straight. Sure. <laughs> so um, so brilliant. So how did you how did you get into like how did you uh, how did you start your podcast? How did you get into that? It was is very similar to your guy's story. It's just a, a very good friend of mine who's a wonderful photographer, Dan Silbert, Daniel Silbert, um, and we you know we have this kind of ongoing discussion. We're always talking about gear. You know, we're talking about cameras and lenses, and we're just kind of like chatting each other up. And we're like, you know, why don't we turn this into a podcast? You know, like, let's actually commit this and put it out there. And within a very short amount of time, we were like, you know, we have these conversations, but it's a little bit, you know, circular. Let's bring somebody else into the foray. Mm. And we brought a friend in and we realized, you know, what? let's circulate people on this thing. Let's get new blood in here. Let's learn people's stories. Let's get different ideas. And we just started reaching out to people. And, you know, thankfully, because of lockdown, people had some time on their hands and they were very willing and able to do it. Um, So it just kind of was born out of that, very similarly to you guys, where, you know, we just, we, we decided that we wanted to be able to have these conversations, meet these other photographers and be able to share their stories. And because I already kind of had, you know, the Brooklyn Photo Works kind of vehicle there, Mm-hmm. and had put a few other kind of podcasts up there. I was like, let's just fold this into the mix. Let's get it up there. And it's been great. I mean, the the, the response has been incredible. You know, we've had just mm-hmm. incredible photographers up there. You know, it's just having these conversations with people that we would never ordinarily have spoken with exactly. um, mm-hmm. and kind of hearing their stories and their mentality. It's just It's just so much fun. And it kind of makes you want to work harder as a photographer as well when you talk to these other folks. So yeah, absolutely. It's one, it's one of these things also where, you know, you realize that you really, I mean, in photography as, as, as well as in many other disciplines, you never really stop learning. It's a bit like, it's a bit like playing an instrument. It's a bit exactly. Like, it's a bit like learning the guitar. Um, I always think you never stop learning, the, learning how to play the guitar because there's always something around the corner that you haven't played yet. But you still have to exercise. You still have to yeah. practice and exactly. keep your chops up, you know, and I, I, I think that's an important part, you know, even, even though lockdown sucks and, you know, we're not able to do as much, you know, just grab your camera, put, lo- put some film in that thing. Yeah. I'm, pointing, I'm pointing at that, that, that little <laughs> thing right yeah. there. Yeah, that is going to happen. 
that it's definitely going to happen. Yeah, I have some film right in my fridge over here. I could to just. And- <laughs> we actually, well, our our local photo store is actually shut at the moment, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna have to wait until where we're we until next week or something until they open up again. Because with lockdown, those yeah. stores are not allowed to to open up. I'm, so I'm real, man. Um, but it's definitely something that's that's on the menu. Yeah. And pay uh, what? What is it? It'll be like two or three pounds a shot. <laughs> Probably, but hey, it's <laughs> worth it. Make it, make it count. Make it count. Exactly right, man. Because <laughs> yeah. so what's your what's your plan for the future? Like, what's your plan when things, when and if? Well, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty sure when things go back to a relative. No, that's normal. A, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, you know, I think we just have to learn to adapt to what the new normal is going to be, and. Mm. For me, um, I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of core clients that have stuck with me and will continue to stick with me going forward. Um, but I think that the way that I do business is going to change. I think people are not going to be where they previously were, you know, as mm. far as accessibility. So maybe it requires more travel. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm trying to stay ahead of that and plan for that. Um, rather than just kind of waiting to see what happens, you know, that's kind of how I kind of like to do things. Like there's part of me that accepts what's going on and just will say, you know, okay, things will change. But there's also that part of me that has to kind of do a little bit of foresight into what, what the future may bring and how I need to adapt my business to do, you know, to be able to keep my business going in the future. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any hard set answer on that, but I think it's just a matter of kind of looking at trends, looking at what companies are doing you know, I keep in communication with a lot of my friends at their workplace and just try to see like where are, where are things going and how are we going to to be able to adapt going forward. So you know, we're going to continue to maintain safe work practices probably all through next year. Hmm. So you know, it's, well, it should get better from <laughs> from the end of January. One could hope. We can only hope, but yeah. I think it's going to be a long, a long yeah. ways off. You know, getting getting people vaccinated and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. I think it's going to take a while. And and you know, still got to work, still got to work during this time. So, well, that said, yeah, I mean, and we don't know what the new normal will be. You know, so you know, ask me a year from now. <laughs> well, it's it's really difficult to plan through a situation like this because obviously, you know, it's not there isn't really a precedent for it. No, there isn't, and uh, I've certainly found it tough to to think that way. But um, you know, it's very easy to sit back and go, "Well, there's nothing I can do about this." It is what it is. You know, right. you have to just accept that. Okay, this is what's happening, and just move forward. You know, it's, it's out of your control. And that's, that's what, what I'm trying to say. Times, it's like right? you can't really change the situation, so you kind of have to just accept it. But at the same time, I think it's a good idea to kind of look at ways moving forward that you can try to maximize on the situation yeah. instead of just, just kind of waiting for things to get better. You kind of have yeah. to make an effort to try to see what you, where you can do things. Has it, has it given you uh, sort of some time to reflect on um, how, you know, how, how you were sort of operating as a business before the pandemic? Um, what I mean is it's like in, in my, in my business shooting predominantly kind of corporate uh, photography. I've, I've certainly had the time to. I actually did have the time to sit down and and reflect on um, what I've put the emphasis on beforehand, and that's really allowed me to think. Well, actually, I want to change the way I do things. You know, when we come out the other end, um, right? Uh, 
did you did you have uh were you able to have like reflections like that the thing that sucks is that i was really kind of on a on a, on a pretty good run right. <laughs> things are going pretty pretty good and i had a lot of stuff yeah you know happening and and so yeah so i i i, I don't I mean, obviously, yeah, I've, I've just had to kind of retool my thinking um, because a lot of the things that, that were in the works are probably never going to be the way that, that they're not going to happen the way that they, they could have happened. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know how to answer that other than, you know, we're just going to have to kind of adapt as things move forward. Yeah. Did you have some time to play some more music? Definitely. I, yeah. I've done a lot of collaborating. My old band from like the you know, the, the touring band that I talked about, like we actually wrote and recorded and released our first single in 20 years. Oh, really? Oh. Put it out on Spotify. Awesome. Um, that was awesome. Cool. Yeah. I find that the, the, the bits that you have to think about when you, what you're saying are the hardest to do. Hmm. Like there's some days when like I'm doing, um, you know, when I've done like my YouTube stuff when I'm like trying to present something, you have all these ideas in your head and then you go to talk about them and you're like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> cool. So we have come to the end of episode 33 of the Camera Shake podcast. Adam, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It was amazing. What an education, eh? Yeah. Oh, second to none. Absolutely. And we will be running some films through this. Damn straight. Uh, Thank you, fellas. It was a, a pleasure to be here. I really enjoyed it. I could go on all day. Um, but um, yeah, man, keep up doing what, what you're doing. It's really, really cool. Thanks so much. If you like this episode of uh, the Camera Shake podcast and you want to listen to more of, uh, of Adam Lerner, then please check out his podcast on the ISO 320 uh, podcast. Uh, all you got to do is go to ISO320.com and you can check it out there or on Apple Podcasts or any other uh, podcasting platform that you can think of. So without further ado, Adam, it was great to have you on the show and we'll be back next week with episode 34.